You're listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick. I'm Hamish. And I'm Scott. And today we're going to talk to Hamish about naming. We've, we've spoken about it before, but, uh, but Hamish is going to tap into this, the finer details and the importance of naming. It's one of those subjects that you think, oh, yeah, name, we'll come up with that at some point. But it's actually a really crucial part of the package you're presenting when you're selling or licensing a product. Uh, Hamish obviously is a marketing guru. He's an in-house marketing guru, if you want. He's a part of the podcast, of course. But uh, we have had a few other uh, marketing people in recently, uh, Michelle and Belinda. And uh, it just shows how open uh, Hamish is to new ideas, unique ideas in the same same field. And he's always happy to share all the information and information from other people he finds interesting with everyone on the on the audience. So um, without further ado, please uh, go ahead and tell us all about naming, Hamish. Oh, well, okay. Thank you, Scott. Um, yeah, I just want to touch on naming because it's, I often find as a subject on its, on its own, uh, one of the biggest problems with naming is actually the process of naming, and that sounds quite obscure. But what I find is if you look around you, uh, everywhere we see names every day. You know, we're driving around, we look at products, we go and shop, you're constantly confronted with names. And the thing is, you never question, well, you rarely question names. You, you don't question whether it's good or bad. And, and unfortunately, when you get into a, a project, when you start concentrating on coming up with a name and developing a name, that's when I think the, uh, it's almost like an over-creativity takes over. Yeah, and I mean, you're talking about things like Apple and Virgin. Like if you were to just sit down and say to a client, we're gonna call your company Apple. You know, well, wow, what the hell? What's Apple mean? You know, uh, but then when it when it gets into context and it has its branding around it and the message is being sent, all of a sudden, it makes perfect sense to you. Is oh, well, that's the thing, and that's the thing. Unfortunately, names are a subconscious piece of marketing in that sense. We we look at the efficiency of a name as a as part of a naming project. When I, when I say efficiency, whether it's the right number of syllables, you know, it's not too long, it's not hard to pronounce, it's not hard to spell. Those sort of things are very, very important, but I think when we delve into naming projects, one of the funniest things to witness is uh, most clients become very, very conservative in looking at or judging ideas that are put forward to them. But I also think on the other side, and I've seen this with naming projects which I've come in halfway through on, is a lot of, and that's what I said before, the over-creativity. So people get really sort of stuck into, well, we need to find this really creative name it's, it's got to be fancy, it's got to, be, it's got to sort of in, encompass everything that we're doing. Whereas I think, unfortunately, a good naming brief is, well, we need something which is going to be efficient, easy to spell, the right length. Now, that's completely different to coming up with something that's, say, clever, that sounds, uh, sounds like the product perhaps is. So that there's, a, there's a very fine line, I think, a very fine balance. That's why I, I want to get across to the audience is the fact that naming is a, a quite a difficult process in terms of coming up with something which is going to... A, be available, uh, B, work, and C, you really don't want your audience to think about it. If, if, if you have to think about a name, that's an enormous roadblock. You know, that, that is a huge stumbling block for your product because if people are confronted with something which they have to then think about, then they're not looking past that immediately to the value of the product. So a name is quite uh, important in the sense that it has to, it is gonna be put on everything that you do that's associated with that product but it almost has to be this transparent piece of marketing where it works extremely well, but then it, it goes very quickly into the background. So it's memorable, but you're not thinking about it. So there's this very fine line that you, you tread 
in coming up with a good name, like yeah. you know, Scott. I mean, yeah. some of the names oh, that we've, we've I find worked it very at. difficult. Either it comes to me instantly, or I just never get it, and that's why I get Hamish involved. Oh well, no, I'm, I'm talking about in in terms of looking at uh, not the speed at which you come up with a good name. It's just simply some of the ideas that we both have had for mm. certain products that we've worked on. It's there's there's merits uh, for all the different candidates. It's just that you, you the way I look at it though is you've got to have something which is not going to provide. A, you don't want your audience to think. That's that's yeah. essentially where yeah. I'm coming from. Yeah. I mean, um, just talking about the word available used before, um, mm. this was the last project we used. We had a, a name in mind, but it wasn't available. And as, as far as available goes, Hamish is talking about, which is very important these days, domain names. Or uh, trademarks. Or trademarks, um, even the ASIC's name, business register names, mm-hmm. all that sort of thing. And these are the things people don't always consider when they have a name. Uh, sometimes you can come up with a really good name, but if you can't actually utilise it to promote your social media and your web presence and all the rest of it, then it's actually not a viable option for you most times. So, yeah, that's what, what uh, Hamish is talking about when he says available. Uh, that's what, obviously, he looks into as well when he looks into a naming project, how available the name is. Well, and that's the thing too, is, and, that, and that's the other side of, of uh, working on these projects is... When it comes to availability, if you come up with a good name, which let's just say is available as a trademark, it's often things can uh, are more I find are more readily available as a trademark than they are, say, a domain name. I mean, domain names are squatted so much these days. I mean, it, you often look at I look at a, a naming project and I look at all say a thousand candidates and I look at all of them and think, oh, <laughs> these are all good, these are unique, these are going to work. But then I also look at it and immediately think they're all gone as domain names, and ninety percent of the time they are. As, as the actual word itself. So as the whatever word you've got, you put it in, .com, do a search, it's gone. But then what you've also got to do is not throw those out because of that. Because if you, if in your brief the make or break parameter is it's got to be available as a .com, well then you're really, you, you're limiting yourself tremendously. Because there's always workarounds. You can always manipulate the name for the for domain name purposes. So you can have the name and then put dash or the name and then put the actual product yep. uh, after it. And that sounds like a huge compromise and a, an excuse to just run with something that's not entirely available. But really the reality is, is these days, most good names are taken on online uh, unless you're willing to go and use a really obscure domain name like a .jp or a dot whatever it is, .tv or dot, you know, dot, dot, even .co. Some of those are available. But yeah, there's workarounds for that. And then really the trademark in your jurisdiction is I think the most important critical thing because that allows you to defend legally your use of that name in that area. So I think that's really the key there. And even things like ASIC, I mean, uh, I've often done jobs where you have the, you've got the opportunity to take the uh, protect the tagline, use that as the company name, and then not worry about having the actual company name as the uh, ASIC you know, proprietary limited trading name. It's actually an opportunity to market again and push that message, which I find is interesting. So. I find uh, naming a real black art. I know there's a process that you use, but it's like, it's to, me, to me, I guess, when I have uh, a, a problem to solve, I usually define what I can flex on, what I can't flex on, uh, you know, what fixed and variable uh, parameters I have. And in my mind, it's, I, set, I set those up, memorise them, and know what I can and can't move on and what the needs and wants of the market are and the end user mm. and possibly sometimes a licensee all those parameters go into my mind and a lot of the work then 
gets done by my subconscious, I'll let that sit and, you know, permeate in my, in my mind and with the, with the end goal of coming up with a solution for it. And quite often, you know, it'll be, it'll be you know, just sitting there and just thinking through and seeing things and observing and all of a sudden things just come to mind. You note them down and you slowly put a picture together that works for the project. Um, is that the sort of same process you use for naming? Uh, in a sense, that's part of the process. I mean, yeah, you've got sometimes you just got to walk away and let your subconscious do some of the work for you. But I think really the best place to start is with a very clear brief. And in a brief, there should be things like, well, where does the product need to be positioned? Like, what I need to know things like, what what is the price point of the product? I mean, is it good? Is it expensive? Is it cheap? Is it middle of the road? Uh, and then in comparison to what? What else is also out there in the market? Because really, a name is an opportunity to. At, at one, because well, the, sorry, the, the other thing you've got to consider too is the growth of the company. So, if you look at an individual naming project for that for a single unique product, is there opportunity to expand on the actual product? And so, I've got to get very clear information from the client to say, okay, well, we've got this one widget, let's just call it that, but we're planning on perhaps expanding it out to three different sizes in three years, or. We're going to have a. We're only starting with one colour now. We're we're going to have a, a rainbow of colours in within ten years. That's the goal. Or we can see an expansion on this idea. We're only starting with this one to start small to get into that market, but we also want to expand on that one product and add things to it. So there's all those sorts of things. So and, and when you start adding things in on top like that to that one product, you've got to take that in, into consideration because otherwise you're going to outgrow perhaps any word that you come up with, it'll become a hindrance to that product uh, moving forward, which only means more headache for the client in terms of marketing cost. So if you can you know, continually building uh, you, you know, your arsenal of brands, you know, I mean, it, looks, it, looks, it, it can look clever and you know, smart to have uh, a number of different brand names within your uh, marketing makeup if you've got lots of different products. But the problem with that though is every time you come up with a new name or you, you develop a sub brand, you've got to then market that depending on how your brand strategy is set up. So if you can get all that information and then get a name which is going to cover more than one base to start with, well then that's a huge aspect of that. That's a huge consideration for that project to get it right. Which is an enormous task in a sense, but it almost makes the job easier because you're then developing a name which is not so much hugely specific to that product, it then becomes hugely specific to that customer. It becomes hugely specific to that market you're going after. Yeah. So you're not trying to position just that product, you're trying to position your entire value proposition within that market. So that's another thing to take into consideration. Then the name becomes, it has to be shorter. So you, you can't, you, you have to be a little bit more, has to allow for gray area, you know, because you can get very specific with product names. I mean, there's, there's a thousand examples out there for, you know, you can actually use what the product is within the name itself, but then if you're going to expand on it, why would you do that? You know, if you want to, uh, go after three different unique markets in the end if that's your 15 year plan if, if that's what you have or even five year plan you know you can't provide you, you don't want to be putting roadblocks up straight yeah, away yeah look I get a lot of clients come to me and they've um, taken really easy options you know there are some easy naming options like uh, speaking of easy you know easy fork you put easy in front of something or after something it's, it becomes an easy option for naming you know uh, you can almost name anything easy this easy that or mate you know barbie mate's quite cool because it, it was one of the first mate options and it seemed to stick mm. um you know 
OptiCase 2000, you put a big word, you know, big number behind it. All, all these ones that come through and they're just really, they're really the easiest options. They don't really, like I think names are very important. You know, it really forms part of the, the message that your brand and company is. And if you have a weak name, um, then you're unable to trademark or if you trademark, it's worthless. It's really quite a powerful thing to have a really neat name that people really gel with. So the customer understands, gets, gels with. Ah, this and is... then when you have... If you if you get it right, the trademark's actually worth a lot of money because it's a trademark is easy and cheap to do all around the world, and yes, so yes. And, and, and patents are expensive. But a good trademark can be the reason someone buys your product. Barbie Mate's probably not a bad bad um, example there, where Barbie Mate was one of the first you know great Australian little products that were done, and it was a good little product. It just had the right message. It ended up being your mate at the barbecue, and it just it fitted the product really well. And people bought that product simply because of the name. There are alternatives that came out, but having that trademark on that name meant, you know, when you bought the Barbie Mate, it was one of those, almost a symbolic, symbolic thing. This is my Australian mate at the barbecue, and it was actually created sales. Mm. So the importance of a name, I think, is, is a lot more important than a lot of people think. And so that's why I use Hamish, obviously, to, for my clients to do naming, because he's extremely good at it. And uh, he's come up with them, some names that as soon as you hear them, your heart just goes at ease. You know, I know that's the right name for it. And, you know, I, I, I'm involved in the process of finding that the way to that name. And I'm fairly critical on it. And obviously, you know, Hamish is there to put options in front of you and look at ways of doing it. And they're all viable options, but one will sit and the client had the same thing. And, and Hamish is good at finding that one that sits well with the product and sits well with the message you want to send with that product. If you get it right, it can be a really powerful part of your sales offering. Well, I think that's, that's an interesting point you bring up, Scott, and thank you for those very kind words. I wasn't asking for that, but... <laughs> but uh, you, got uh, next, you got the next coffee. That's right, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Instant over there. Uh, <laughs> but uh, an interesting point you bring up too, because I think that's the other critical part with the naming project is the, the choosing the name, which is a, a hugely important step for the fact that you've got a whole load of people involved that everything hinges on this name. You know, often that's the last thing that's that's to do with a lot of these projects with entrepreneurs and product developers is it's almost they've got the idea they go and get CAD drawings and they get the prototype done then all of a sudden it's like oh this is moving along oh now we've got some funding and then all of a sudden oh what are we going to call it yeah. so it's right at the time, end time was important <laughs> I, I always try and get Hamish involved when we have a working prototype same as all my IP only really starts when I have a working prototype that's proved I'm working because then you actually know what you're dealing with I can give this to Hamish he can touch and feel it and, and use it and go oh he can always put his feet in the shoes of the, the end user and then the relevance of his name is much higher. Um, but that's certainly where you should start at the very least. You don't want to leave it to the last minute because it can take time. If, to get a good name, it can happen overnight or it can take weeks or it can take months and you still have to have the good name in the end. So I certainly think timing-wise it should be done when you've got a working prototype that you're happy with. Yeah, and I think that's the, the key is also to, in the choice of the name, is you've got to remain as impartial as possible. So that's that's why, coming back to the brief, 
your brief is absolutely crucial because once you start getting into say one or two thousand different name candidates, I mean your head is scrambled really. I mean you you start looking at things and you start missing things because I mean I did that with a project a couple of months ago. I mean I was putting forward some ideas because I thought they were good, but then the client said to me, "Oh, hang on, that's that alludes to something which is really quite bad." And I said, "Oh, you you you're dead on. You're right." And again. You know, we all get carried away and you go back to the brief and you think, okay, that's, that was where we need to position it, even though that's a good idea. And it's because I got excited because it was available as a .com and a trademark. And then all of a sudden, you know, you have these little fits of, you know, <laughs> you get excited, then you present it to the client. Often it's the other way around where I'm presenting something to the client saying, this is good, but we can't use it, but let's use it as an idea to push something else. Yeah, again, you've got, you've got to have a solid brief. If you, if you just using a shotgun approach and going well, let's just come up with different word combinations yeah. and things like that you're going to get yeah. you're going to come unstuck because yeah. a you're going to go down ten thousand different roads and then at the end you're just going to get frustrated because you're going to choose something which is purely based on personal taste that's probably the worst thing to do i mean i, I advocate uh when i say <laughs> it sounds going to sound odd but i advocate for my client's customer i don't advocate for the client when it comes to naming projects purely for the fact that both myself and and the client is looking at the name candidate and going, oh, how does this reflect on me? You know, how's this gonna look? I'm gonna go and tell my friends that it's gonna be called this. Oh, I can't have that, you know, this is not gonna make me look good. But then I'll say, well, listen, it's not about you and me. We both might look at different names and go, oh, wow, that's great. But then put it in the marketplace, is it gonna make money? Is, are people gonna look at that name and get confused? Are they gonna look at it and go, I get it? Are they gonna look at it and go, uh, hopefully what they're gonna do is see it understand it and then move on like we talked about messaging before you know making as having a name as part of the marketing message it's it's borderline insanity to think that a name will encompass and promote a message because a message is made up of so many different can, little it, things if you get it wrong though it can promote the wrong oh, no, i'm not saying oh, no, this I know this is where it you, becomes yeah, complex that's right. you, you can't have it you can't expect a name to carry the entire weight of no, a brand. No, it either gels with the project or it doesn't, but, or it conflicts with it. So you don't want it to conflict with it. No, but it's a bit like a game of Jenga. Like if the, the name is like that, that one brick or little you know, uh, piece at the bottom, and if you get it right, it will hold the entire structure. You don't notice it that much, you're not really concentrating on it, there's a lot of weight on the top, but if you get the name wrong, it's like that last little bit of Jenga, Agreed. you pull it out, Agreed. and the yeah. whole thing can collapse. However, it should be working uh, on its own. And again, it's like a, it, it has to be transparent. People are gonna be looking through the name rather than having it as a, it's just presented with this black piece of cloth that people are looking at it going, well, oh, geez, I don't understand what the hell that is, or it's so far removed from everything yeah. else that you're trying to position the product with in the market. Yeah. If, it, if it's too obscure, it's not gonna work. If it's too hard to pronounce, it, I mean, but, and then again, just to confuse people even more, sometimes that's a strategy in itself. Like if you have a very expensive, unique, uh, and you want, to, want it to be an exclusive product, well then yeah, you, you actually have a name which is a little bit more complex because that's what you're trying to get across is it's not like the easy like we were talking before about products with the word yeah, easy that, that works for cheap products I mean when I said it, it's not it, a very good it, thing it can, it, be, can, it, can, it can position something as a cheap product and work for it yeah because that, again that comes back down to understanding where you need to fit pricing wise because if you've got a product which is going to be quite quite a lot more than what's sitting next to it on the shelf well then you really should be having a name which is going to reflect that purely to build up the perception that it's of a higher value. It's a high. It's it's everything sort of fits into place for the for the customer, and that's the thing. The customer's not going to. This is all subconscious 
yeah. uh, uh, activities that goes on in, in the, the customer's brain. It's not like you, people don't sit there in a you know, shopping center and go, oh, that's definitely positioned as, as, a, as an expensive product. I'll yeah, buy that that I, I, I see it's, that. It, that just, all this is just happening. Yeah. You know, it's just got to be, it's just got to come naturally yeah. to the customer. Yeah. Uh, so, sorry, it's got to fit into their thought process without them thinking about it, put it that way. I do see that with uh, watches. Expensive watches have got ridiculous names <laughs> that mean nothing to anyone and are quite confusing. Brigitte and Phil's, you know, Hub, Hoblot, bang, 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 Big Bang. <laughs> it's just, oh, Hublot, yeah. You know, it's just like, you know, ridiculously complicated <laughs> so, names. I'm just talking, we're just looking at a list of names nothing here. Nothing to anyone, but... but uh, uh, I like Patek. But, you know, yeah. it, really, it really sort of... Um, Chopin. Just, it's almost a sign of an expensive watch. You, you don't understand what the, yeah, name, basically, the name means the, at all. Basically, the, the less likely that you're able to pronounce it, the more expensive it is. <laughs> <laughs> but there you go. We're yeah. laughing, but, but that, it's, it's it works. exactly the way it works. So, yeah. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's uh, the other thing I was going to ask about is um, obviously a lot of the project we do are all about international sales. So language, ulterior languages, like sometimes I, I heard that um, Mitsubishi means wanker in some language in, in Spanish or something or other, and I thought, well, that's not going to really work very well over there. No, I think it was Pajero. Pajero, something, yeah, something like that. Yeah. So um, anyway, it's, it's one of those things that definitely has to be accounted for and. Do you go into it very much or do you just... Yes, absolutely. There's connotations which are hugely important. And some, look, some names you develop and some names you look at and you think, oh, look, there's, there's obviously a connotation that would be attached to that. But sometimes you don't know because sometimes it could be an age thing. So if you're looking at products where, uh, I mean, that's the other thing too. Again, going back to the brief, uh, as someone say in, in our age group, we, we look at particular names with, with our own understanding of the world. So we might not, if we're 16 there are some words and some terminology which mm. are used that's part of that generation's uh, lexicon or whatever you want to you know, call it. It's their, their, their peers use a particular language. That might not be apparent to us. So that's why you have to do research sometimes to say, okay, if we're going after a younger audience or a much older audience, uh, does it fit in? Is, that gonna, is there any connotations which are attached to what we're looking at here which we don't see? And same with languages. If you have a... And you have to be very specific when you're writing the brief. Look, yes, we're going to be selling into a local market, but also, but you know, at the eleventh hour, I don't want to be told that oh, we're also going into Cambodia and Russia and China, and selling it as a local, uh, a product which is going to be uh, use their language on the box. Yes, yeah. and I mean, if it's me and I had Pajero, and in one country it was. Oh, the tree, I just change it. You know, yeah, well, I do. just change it for that country. They call it shogun. So that's what I do. So, I guess it, I guess you can't account for every language. You don't. You know, we don't even know really sometimes what which country we're going to sell products into. We start in a, in a, the top five and we work our way around. Mm. It could end up anywhere. Mm. Um, and sometimes that can be. And some sorry, just to, to <laughs> also just to confuse the issue yet again is sometimes those connotations can actually work for you. Yeah. Because it gets people at least talking about the product. Yeah. So there's that's there's another way of looking at it. So it, it and it just depends if it if it's culturally sensitive. So if it's culturally offensive, that becomes a problem. But if it's just culturally funny, mm. uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you can't, can't use it. Yeah. Again, you you do research. You would talk to a marketer on the ground in that country and say, yeah. hey. This is what we're thinking of using. Obviously, you've got NDAs in place with that person to say, "Look, how do you think this will fly?" Just get the information. You know, it's not hard, mm. and it's not about having focus groups everywhere. It's just about you know getting on the phone and just organising to talk with someone that is in that country and giving getting some feedback. Yeah, so. connotations was an, was an interesting word. I mean, I think the right connotation that a, that a name gives 
uh, a consumer is probably a bit of a key to it. I mean, even in the fishing, people know that Japanese fishing products are very high quality. So some people will call their fishing product by a Japanese name just to give the right connotation. Yep. You know, it just, it, it's well, that's what we connotations call. is probably one of the key parts of naming, the right, get the right connotation. If you have the wrong connotation, it can be disastrous. When you get the right connotation, totally appropriate. Well, and you know what? I think the basis for all naming comes back down to that. It's alignment and it is uh, positioning with products. It doesn't even have to be the product that's in your category that you're going after with, with your design. Uh, you could look at what people understand as luxury, what do people understand as hardy, what do people understand as tough, what do people understand as uh, cheap. You use those connotations to position your product. So you really, all naming projects are coming back down to, it boils down to memory. That's what you're playing with is memory. You're playing with people's understanding of what they already know in any market for any product. And you use that, you, you stand on the shoulders of other brands when you develop a name because what else is there? I mean, you could just come up with a, you just get a, a name generator that just throws letters together yeah. and just use anything that comes up which is available. That's, you could do that, but there's no point in terms of marketing, there's, there's no point in doing that because you've got such a job ahead of you because no one will look at that and go, well, I don't even understand, but it looks Russian to me. It looks, it's, it's completely foreign and I don't know what that product could possibly be hmm. apart from being you know completely obscure I mean maybe that's the point as well if, if you've got a product which needs to be seen as completely left field I mean Virgin was pretty much that uh, I mean he may have had ideals about why he called it Virgin he, you know I'm going to go into this as a complete Virgin I've never done anything in this field before and it might have stuck I don't know, but when you think about it, you could have used a name generator to just come up with that word and bang, there you go. Well, and I you think put enough marketing money behind it, all of a sudden the name's secondary. It's just a brand and there's nothing more to it. It doesn't have to have a meaning. He's never tried to explain the meaning in any of the broadcasts I've seen, so it could easily be just a random name that meant something to him and he's built the whole company around it. But I mean, when you when you're starting off, you're not, and if you and if you're a startup, you don't have that sort of massive marketing money to put behind it. So you have to be a bit more crucial about. No, but I think that's that's it, a very interesting it, concept it, you brought it, up no. there, Scott. Because I think we've if we're looking at Virgin, and again, we don't have Richard Branson here, unfortunately, to, to talk about why he uh, used that particular name. But I, I can I could probably make I'll get it on speed dial. Hang on. Okay, sure. <laughs> just just wait, everyone. As if. Uh, <laughs> you never know. You might be listening, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is funny. <laughs> but uh, I think if we look at his whole approach to business as an entrepreneur, he, he's always been quite flamboyant in, in the yeah. sense that he'll get out there and he does things very differently. He's not shy. He, he's very straightforward. His products are, are very straightforward. And I think the name is a good choice, was yeah. a good choice to start with because of where he wanted to go. He didn't just want to be another has-been and, and sort of... He didn't want to blend into... No. Sink into the environment that he was working. He, he is wanted a, to be... He is a very intuitive person. Like, you can tell he's, a, he's incredibly astute. Obviously, he's been so successful, but mm. he knows how to tap into the psyche of his customers. And so whatever reason he used that name, Virgin, I'm sure there was a reason behind it. it, it oh, wouldn't, that's it wouldn't what I say. Have, wouldn't have been but, random. But unfortunately, the, the, the great thing about that name is he, well. he lives with that. They, they, that company lives by that. I mean, it's sort of, it does blend into the background now in some respects because it's such an old name and some of the businesses that he has have matured 
to such a degree. I mean, even Virgin Airways in Australia now, I mean, it was Virgin Blue when it first started and they had, you know, hugely lively, you know, colours and ways of working and they're very different. But now, I mean, they're, they're just going after, I mean, they, they admit they're going after Qantas. They have been going after Qantas for years and they've rebranded as such. Um, visually to, to represent that to go after a more conservative market so where they started off being you know wanting to be seen as the low cost uh, you know very friendly and very oh, no, a rebel, very a out rebel there brand, yeah. a rebel brand they're, they're not so much that I mean they still are a very friendly yes. company to deal with as a, as a passenger but yeah very they've, they've matured to such a point but I think when he started it though definitely. though that, that name suited it down to the ground because of what he was doing he was coming in feel, yeah. and taking existing products and just turning them on their head and going hey we're going to make this cheaper better faster More whatever fun. it is and I think that's what and because their whole company is driven by that concept yeah so yeah. it works so yeah. that's the other thing too is you've got to have a, you've got to be able to live up to your name and that's why you know some, some clients I've worked with they do get worried because I can see they're looking at a particular name that they like. Then they think, oh, you know, is this going to, can I live with that? You know, is this who we really are? And, and then you've got to make a choice. You can actually make a choice as a business owner and a decision maker to say, okay, in, as part of the renaming, are we actually looking at reestablishing ourselves within our market? Are we actually going to grab it by the horns and say, okay, yeah, we're changing our name, but we're also going to change our persona a bit because that's how we have to change is through the behavior. So the name is just representative of the behaviour. You can't have a name change and then not do anything else. It's just a super, that's just a superficial thing. I mean, that can be done as well. I mean, if you've got a name which is uh, through time and through maturity, as you've outgrown it because either you sound too cheap or too, too small, that's one, that's one thing where the name is actually catching. You have a name change because you want the actual name to catch up with where you are in the market. But then there's the other side of it. You might have uh, outgrown the name the other way where you need to... Uh, change your behaviour. So you might have a stagnant, uh, you know, behavioural brand issue where, you know, perhaps everyone in the business has just been there for too long, no one's really excited about turning up to work anymore and and unfortunately where your market is, is heading, customer expectation is then eroding your, your sales because they're not seeing you as relevant anymore. So a name change is also signal to everyone in the organisation to say, hey, we're going to have something a little bit more uh, sharper sounding, a little bit more progressive and we also have to change with it. So there's that side of it as well. So that's why naming projects can be quite divisive if they're not managed properly, yeah. because you've got to take people along for the ride within that organisation. I'm talking about big organisations here. Obviously, it, the same thing applies uh, for entrepreneurs. This is something to think about in the long term, the importance of a name. It's not just something you just slap on uh, a product and just either, you know, should be right, it's available. It's, well, what do we want to actually do with this? And where do you want to take the organisation if it's an organisational brand as much as it is a product brand? Mm. So there's that side of it. I notice um, one of those exact situations right now is uh, Kmart Tire and Service just became my car and they've gone from, you know, big red Kmart Tire and Service, fairly aggressive, not really at link to Kmart as such, has become my car, which is very personal, my car, you know, it's a nice blue my car very soft round lettering it's sort of more customer based and it's all about the the personal experience of trying to take your your personal baby in there and have it serviced and looked after mm. so they've, they've obviously realized that um people you know quite quite care quite a lot about the vehicle and they want to make sure that it's not just a run-of-the-mill kmart experience you know we're going to bring your car in and look after it mm. and that's what they've changed the name and their branding to to sort of look like 
Yeah, I think that's that's another good example too because perhaps the Kmart Tyrant Auto was seen as a very low price point in the market. Uh, the, the perception perhaps would have been, why would you, if you do care about your vehicle, why would you take it in there because it's just going to be the cheapest of the, you know, yeah. it's, it's the bottom of the market. But yeah, you're right, you know, people... Yeah. And that's the thing, Kmart has actually changed itself uh, dramatically over the years since I've known it. I mean, it, it's got some incredibly good cheap products that they sell. Uh, so they've really managed to turn themselves around in that sense. There's a lot of retailers that are not doing as well as Kmart. And so I think with their you know, auto wing, that's probably, you're right, that's why they've done it. Because mm. they're, they're going after a different mindset in the market, put it that way. And they're not going after different customers per se, but they're going after a different mindsets. They're just trying to get people more comfortable yeah. with leaving their cars in there and booking yep. in. And it's not only the name change, they've also got messages about how they're going to, after care with your vehicle, you come in, okay, you get your tyres, you'll get a free rotation X amount mm. of kilometres down the track. All that sort of, we're looking after your vehicle like you do. So, yeah, they've just not only changed the name, but they've actually changed mm. the message as well, which is uh, all part and parcel of it. Mm. Okay. Yeah, excellent. All right, that's been re- really good. We've probably gone a bit long now, so let's pull that up if you're right. Yeah, absolutely. And, um, and just, to, just to tell everyone too, the... Uh, I've developed a little tool called the Brand Name Scorecards uh, available on the website. I'll put that up on the uh, off-to-market Facebook page. It'll be linked to that. And that will just allow entrepreneurs, if, you, if you're looking at develop, if you've got a list of names that you need to go through and try and work out which one's the best, the scorecards are a really good place to start in terms of availability. Right. So it's just a nice little checklist to uh, help you on your naming journey. Perfect. Thanks, Hamish. That's great. Another Thanks. little tool for our listeners. Astute listeners. <laughs> Thanks, Scott. (laughs) Thanks, Hamish. You've been listening to Off to Market with Scott Farley and Hamish Chadwick.